Hello, and welcome to the Kids Ministry Circle podcast. Kids Ministry Circle is a community for kids ministry leaders to be encouraged and equipped to love and serve the local church. My name is Lauren Jackson, and I am here with my co-host, Becca, and we have a very special guest joining us today. Her name is Brooke Green, and we are going to talk all about special needs ministry inside the world of kids ministry and Sunday morning church and all of the things in between. But before we get to that, I have some announcements to make. And first is, did you know that Kids Ministry Circle has one-on-one coaching opportunities? We love to walk side by side with kids ministry leaders as they are either new to their role or working on some big, big projects and just trying to improve their leadership skills and what's happening in and around their ministry. And we will talk a little bit about how we do that specifically with special special needs at the end. So stick around to hear more about that. All right, let's jump right in. Hey, Brooke, welcome to the Kids Ministry Circle podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us about who you are. Tell us about your life and how you got started in kids ministry, specifically special needs ministry. Totally. Um, so my name's Brooke. Thanks again for having me guys. I'm so excited to chat with y'all today. Um, I am a lot of things. (laughs) I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have two little kids. So my life is chaos. Um, and I have been in the church and parachurch world for many years. I was on staff with, a Um, international parachurch ministry for several years right out of undergrad and I actually wound up being a k2 coordinator so kinder through second grade um, at a local church where my husband was on staff he is a pastor Um, and I also wound up in the special needs ministry director role as well so that's kind of how I wound up in a formal special needs ministry position, um, but I've actually helped support, start, build, sustain lots of special needs ministry contexts, both for smaller churches who just have one or two kids who have special needs um, and just don't know how to support that kiddo. Also bigger churches that have multiple sites. And uh, I've helped in those set up teardown settings have kind of been all over the place, helping churches build out, sustain, grow their special needs ministries and advocate for them because it's a huge space for advocacy. So that's a little bit about me. My undergrad degree is actually in special needs ministry um, because I made it up. I combined special education and psychology um, and Hmm. Bible (laughs) ministry. And so I kind of took from all of those programs to build out this special needs ministry uh, degree. So I guess it's pretty unique and gives me some really good tools to use. That's a little bit about me. So Brooke, why don't you tell us kind of before we get into all the things we can do or should do, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what special needs ministry looks like, uh, either at the church you're currently at or even kind of where you were before. Yeah, totally. Um, so my husband and I just relocated about a year ago and we're at, um, another multi-site church now, um, we're actually at one of the many campuses, and it's a large mega church, um, pretty well known. And what's, you know, gets my heart really um, going is that even there, the special needs ministry is not fully developed. It's not fleshed out. They're kind of 
um, trying to catch up and meet the needs as they come up, but they're, they haven't been proactive in the past about seeing that through. So um, right now in my campus, we have one student with special needs and they're trying to figure out how to support this student. And on our main campus, the original campus, they have a a special needs ministry that's both self-contained, so we'll talk a little bit about what that means, but a self-contained setting, and they have some volunteers that partner with kiddos in regular programming. So they do have a ministry, but it's, you know, they are playing catch-up. There's way more need than they have um, ministry space mm. or volunteers for at this point, and that's similar to my previous church as well. So I was working on building out volunteer teams, advocating for the ministry, for the resources, all the things that would help us um, be a flourishing ministry not just a a ministry playing catch up mm-hmm. yeah yeah before we get into the hows of all those things uh why do you think it's important that churches have uh special needs ministries or even processes to care for for kids and adults with special needs gosh yeah you don't want to get me too going here but um <laughs> I, this is so this has just been part of my heart for years and years. If I had time to tell you my whole life story, you'd know that I wound up in settings where people with special needs were. No matter what, where I was, no matter what my task at hand was, I was in the special ed room in high school. I was um, helping with special needs orphans when I did an internship in Haiti. And what happened is I saw a need just across the, all of, you know, industries, organizations, and especially churches a need for inclusion and accessibility. Um, If we want our churches especially to represent the kingdom of God, they need to represent the entire kingdom of God. And we're Mm -hmm, working mm -hmm, so hard to mm -hmm. make that accessible for people of color and people from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic statuses, but people with special needs are often left off the radar. And what I think is really unique and ironic is that people with special needs are like the gospel is saturated with people with special needs, people who are blind, people who are deaf, people who can't speak, people who can't walk. Um, and Jesus is spending so much of his time with those individuals and we don't even have space for them in our churches. Like there is a disconnect there. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think if you are hoping that your children's ministry, kids ministry, church at large represents the kingdom of God, they need to represent the entire kingdom of God with people of various abilities and disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody knows that they're core, like we should have this, but I think that's a really good reminder to cling to of like, because it is a lot of work to start. It's going to take resources. Mm -hmm. It's going to take investment. And I think this kind of that reminder is super important that we want to represent the kingdom of God. And then I just always like, and this is another soul like we, and, and, and one that is, uh, that has more trouble and because of the barriers of their physical limitations that that make it hard for them. So like Jesus came to us because we could not come to him. We want to make that accessible to them, you know? Um, And, and there's, and I don't think it's just a, uh, this is another thing I think is important. I don't think it's just a, like, we want to serve them. I think there's so much for us to learn because they're part of the body of Christ too. Um, And every part of the body has a function Um, and there's much for them to be able to contribute to the body. And so we, we miss out on that when we don't uh, have a place for them. Yeah. So I, love that. I love what you said Absolutely. just about how, like at the beginning, we were talking about your church context and just how I feel like a lot of churches are probably in this catch up phase of 
maybe they had a thriving special needs ministry or maybe they were trying really hard to get something started and then COVID happened and now it's like, well, we're trying to just get Sunday mornings back and special needs ministry and that desire is way down the list of hopes and dreams. And I feel like, and this has been my experience in kids ministry is you don't really feel the pressure to start a special needs ministry until you have a special needs family show up at your door and you're like, what am I going to do? I don't know. Like then you're really playing catch up because you see the need. They're literally standing at your Mm check-in counter asking if there's a place for their child. And most of the time the answer is yes, but also is this the right, do we like who, (laughs) where's my volunteers, like all Mm -hmm. this stuff. And so for those churches who maybe this past Sunday, this was their experience. They had someone walk in and they were like, oh no, our, we don't, our classrooms are all upstairs and we have no access for kids in wheelchairs or we don't have the needs for kids who easily get overstimulated by loud music and lights. Like there's so much more than just boys and girls with autism. Like the spectrum is yeah. so large of kids and families in the special needs world. And so for those churches, what do you tell them? What do you say if a kids ministry leader came to you and you're just like, I'm trying to figure this out. This just happened on Sunday. What is my first mm-hmm. step? Yeah, that's such a good question. And actually, we'll tie back, but let me circle back. Um, Another reason why we have to have this ministry is exactly what you said. Um, But I want to point at those families, the parents Mm -hmm. that are walking up to your check-in kiosk and they are they are exhausted. Mm-hmm. We we know as parents of neurotypical kiddos that we are exhausted, but these parents are going a million miles an hour to get their kids resources. They're advocating for their kids nonstop. They, they're running their kids to multiple therapies multiple times a week, going to IEP meetings, making sure that the school can actually help their kiddo. They are never stopping with their advocacy, with their parenting, and that will potentially be a longer road than just an 18-year-old graduating and going to college mm-hmm. for them. Um, so when those parents are walking up to your check-in kiosk, I think the best thing to start with is listening to the parents, listening to the family and their experience. And if you don't have the resources, A, this is top priority always, to keep their kiddo and the kiddos in your ministry safe, then you do unfortunately have to typically say, I want to check back in this week and follow up. I want to be able to serve your kiddo and let you guys go to church and also disciple your kiddo. I don't want to just watch the child. I want to make sure that they experience Mm -hmm. the gospel too. Um, But if you can't keep the kiddo safe and you can't keep other kids in your ministry safe, confidently, obviously, then you might have to say, let's follow up this week. And can I please take you guys to coffee? I'll have a volunteer come and sit with us so they can watch your little one, and we can kind of dive into what your experience has been like in the church and how we can support you. And even if you don't know if you can, I think just having that conversation with the parents and being the first person to not say, no, sorry, we can't meet your need at this church and see them walk out the door and never come back. Like open up that dialogue with the family and don't let them feel turned away with no next step. Like you can say, we can't keep you your kiddo safe confidently right now, but we would 
love to be able to do that. Can we please sit down to brainstorm ways for that to take place? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just say, listen to the parents and gosh, your heart will break for them and for their experience in the church. There's lots of statistics out there, but 80% of parents to kiddos with autism don't attend church. And that's just one diagnosis mm-hmm. and a huge majority. Um, so like you said, it's, there's so many other diagnoses out there and think about the parents who do have more like medically fragile kiddos. I mean, they've been turned away from so many contexts, not just churches, but if you have nothing in place and you are panicking at the thought, the parent's probably going to be okay with you saying, let's set a date and make that a calendar meeting like then and there say Tuesday at two, let's meet up because I want to hear your story and I want to make sure your kiddo can come back next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's so important because, you know, I think it can be overwhelming to think of if, as you're pre- even preparing and building, thinking of like, we need to be prepared for all of these situations. But even if the same kind of situation arises, every every person is mm-hmm. so unique um, and their needs are so unique that I think that even if you have a robust uh, special needs ministry, I still think that is a step that is so important to take to make sure that we're actually caring um, well for the family and the, the and the child. So definitely, yeah. I mean, there there are so many different contexts. You mentioned kiddos becoming overstimulated, kiddos not having access to the facilities, kiddos needing to use the toilet during programming. There's so many things that you will have to think through, and so prioritizing safety is number one and um, knowing if you have the ability to do that or not. If you have extra flow volunteers on hand that can keep a kiddo safe for 45 minutes to an hour, then say yes Mm -hmm. and have the same conversation on Tuesday. If you don't have that volunteer capacity, then keep the kiddo, their family safe, keep your current kiddo safe and schedule that. Yeah, I think what you just said, Brooke, gives, gives leaders a lot of freedom. Right. There's always this pressure of like, oh, no, I want to take kids. And even that can be any kids because sometimes your classrooms are full and you say, hey, I can't. You need to go into big service or whatever. And so there's this desire, I feel like, in every kids ministry leader to accept as many kids as they can. But what I feel like Becca and I talk have talked about this at length in this podcast is safety has to be number one. If you can't take kids safely, then you've lost a lot of trust totally. in your volunteers mm-hmm. and from your parents. And that has to be the number one priority. And I feel like there's a lot of freedom to say, hey, I'm so sorry, but we cannot compromise safety and then follow through on that next step piece. I feel like that gives kids ministry leaders just a lot of freedom yeah. to be to just breathe and be like, OK, if this is a goal of ours here's some next steps of how we do that. We meet with the parents. We maybe connect with some outside resources. We read some books, all the things. And it doesn't need to be perfect from day one, which I think kind of leads us into a good next question is maybe they're not there yet. Maybe they haven't had a family walk in to their church with special needs and they're not sure kind of if there is a need. How would you encourage churches to prepare or to be proactive in this because I feel like I've found if churches start telling people that they have a special needs ministry, those families will learn about your church and start coming because no family, no parent wants to walk into a church 
and ask the question, do you have a space for my child? Is my child welcome here? Does my child, can my child be safe in this space? But what a joy it is and what a comfort to say, oh, that church, they're ready, they're prepared, and that they want my child in their ministry and they've thought through some things already. So how would you encourage ministry leaders to be proactive in the step to work on launching a special needs ministry? That's a great question. And you nailed it on the head. Like if you don't have a need, if you don't see a need yet, you don't have a kiddo with special needs in your kid's ministry space. That's because you don't have a special needs ministry. If you have it, they will come. Um, One in five people of all ages has a disability in the United States. It's 20% of the population. So if you look at your children's ministry, let's say you have a hundred, a hundred kids, technically, if they're representing the total populace, there should be 20 kids in that ministry who have a disability of some sort. Maybe it's a learning di- like diagnosis or it's a physical disability. But if you want to be proactive so that you can meet that need, I would say looking into the resources that are available, which we can talk about, um, and preparing yourself in that way, just personally preparing yourself so that you have some understanding of what resources are available if your leadership, your... Um, family ministry director, whoever your direct um, supervisor is and the team above you is, if they're like, yes, let's do it. I need you to do some research. Know what's available to do that research. Also lean into your community. So there are like experts. There are subject matter experts all around you. You've got special ed teachers. You've got speech therapists. You've got um, occupational therapists. You've got behavioral therapists. You've got people in your congregation that know this this world and you've got parents that know this world or siblings or aunts and uncles so start to talk to people get some understanding if you don't feel comfortable personally your volunteers will not feel comfortable eventually if you feel like oh gosh I would have no idea if I were in a room with a kid with autism or I would have no idea what to do with um an adult with down syndrome who wants to come to kids ministry if you don't feel comfortable in that setting your volunteers will never feel comfortable Mm -hmm. so start to immerse yourself in the world and lean on your community resources in that respect maybe go observe a special ed classroom or sit in on a therapy session if HIPAA allows and all the important things but I really think starting to feel comfortable yourself and then starting to do the research with the resources that are out there so that when someone comes to you and says okay I've got some resources for you some money in the bank what are you going to do with it you actually have an idea of what next I love that I think just the research piece is a perfect first step right you want to know a little bit about kind of like what the world that you are exploring but I also love what you said about go to your local elementary school like go to your local middle school and have like build a relationship with the special needs teacher a lot of kids ministry leaders want to partner with the local with the local schools and want to support their teachers and this is just one way that the church can say hey we want to support you and we want to encourage you and champion you and cheer you on what does that look like? Um, and then hopefully you can receive some encouragement in some ways that your ministry can serve these kids outside of school hours. Um, I think that's a great, that's a great idea. Yeah. Brooke, what would you say is a, you know, great or, or maybe great is the wrong 
a word there, qualifier, but what's a, what's, what are some ways to recruit volunteers to serve and, and help in special needs ministry? That is a great question. Um, I think what does become a little bit tricky and you guys probably feel this just in kids ministry, we've all felt this before the tension of people who are experts on kiddos and love kiddos are school teachers and nannies and they dedicate their whole lives to this. So do we want to ask them to give more time on a Sunday? Um, same with special needs ministry. You're going to want to tap into those resources. And I do think it's helpful if you've already done that like exploratory research phase, you've talked to special ed teachers, you've gathered people in your congregation who do pediatric therapy with kids with special needs. Um, I think tapping into those resources and saying, Hey, would you be interested in helping me like be the scaffold basically for this ministry. I know that you do this full time, but would you be willing to pilot it with me, get it started? So we've got experts in the door. You can help me train the new people who maybe they're current kids ministry volunteers and they happen to love kids with special needs, but you never knew this. Um, pulling those people in and getting the proper training. Um, so I think definitely tapping into that, like mm-hmm. I would call them like your subject matter experts, your consultants, whoever they are in the community, mm-hmm. um, tapping into them at first, but kind of with not an expiration date in mind, but give them the leeway and the freedom to say, I don't want you to commit to this every single Sunday for the rest of your life, but could you help me for the first six months launch this ministry and make it a safe and welcoming space? Um, and could you help me train up the next people who would take the reins from there? So I think starting with those people that are in the community and in your, you know, network and your arms reach for now. And um, I think another piece is once you start, again, if your church is interested in this, considering it, exploring starting special needs ministry, you could be one of the only ones in your area doing it. So if you do have a network of people in the special needs world and families start coming to you, they're going to recommend oh my gosh, we have a part-time nanny and she would love to come serve here. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with our family specifically, or we know some people who are on our babysitter list and they're really great with the kids. They would be great volunteers and they're going to give you lots of good recommendations too. Um, but I would say having that kind of pilot team will help you yeah. exponentially. Yeah. That's good. Sure. Uh, I've definitely had that experience before of having people who were you know, whether they're licensed school psychologists or um, special special education preschool teachers um, uh, or just, you know, special ed teachers in general um, that have been really helpful um, in getting getting our getting things started. Totally. So, yeah, it's a great they idea. They can also be good idea. resources for if you have one or two kiddos in your current ministry and you're like, can you just help me brainstorm? Can we come up like I have this kiddo. You don't have to share any identifying information but you can say I have this kiddo who's struggling with this in our kids ministry setting mm-hmm. what are some ideas have you seen this in your classroom have you seen this in your therapy mm-hmm. sessions and they are just wealths of information so then they mm-hmm. I think they always love to give that's typically the type of person in that role so um they can even help you come up with some plans for each yeah. individual in your ministry Brooke why don't you talk about just some logistics, like Sunday morning logistics. So I feel like in the kids ministry world, we've seen a couple different things. We've seen what you talked about at the beginning where there's a room designated to special needs kids and there's that way of doing it. But then on the flip side there, you see like buddy programs that are for special needs kids. Kind of talk about the two differences and maybe 
Um, if there's another way of doing it, just kind of what you've seen as churches begin to build a special needs ministry, just kind of share how this logistically works on Sunday morning. That's a great question. I'm just going to compliment all your questions. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I think you brought up a good tension point for a lot of special needs ministry leaders, kids ministry leaders, of what's the best possible scenario for these kiddos in our ministry? Is it inclusion? Yeah. Is it being in mainstream age-appropriate programming? Or is it a self-contained setting where we know we can keep them safe and meet their specific needs and tailor ministry to look like what would help them the most? Um, and I'm going to give you a, an answer that probably won't help anyone, but it's both. Um, I think the best fullest, most flourishing version of a special needs ministry that I've seen allows both opportunities. So kiddos have a one-on-one dedicated volunteer who's trained in the special needs ministry and they help them attend age-appropriate programming or let's say the kiddo is five but age-appropriate for them might look more like being in the the pre-k room or whatever. Um, Then they're with them trying to help them accommodate things they're taking this small group lesson and tailoring the questions talking directly to their kiddo that they're assigned to they're always looking out for those opportunities in age-appropriate programming to help the kiddo be included and be a part of everything that's going on and some parents are going to be so so passionate that that is the case for their child and in that case i say be inclusive be ready to usher them into your regular programming and accommodate however you can there are lots of curriculums now that are coming out with just little disclaimers here's how to tailor this for a kiddo who is light sensitive Mm -hmm. here's how to tailor this question that makes it a little bit more relevant to a kiddo with special needs so i think a buddy system is a really great place to start especially if you have one or two kiddos and you're not seeing you know a huge amount of kiddos that need this service But I do think on the Mm -hmm. flip side, a lot of these children and adults are attending like therapies, they're receiving services, they're working so hard to be included in the regular neurotypical world the rest of the week. We have kiddos who are in 40 hours of behavioral therapy all week. We've got kiddos who are seeing five different specialists throughout the week and then they're regular doctors for physical ailments. Like They are working just to exist in the world that's not made for them. So sometimes a parent will tell you, I want them to come on Sunday and just get to be fully themselves and not have to be Mm. accommodated for. I want there to be a space just for them. I want there to be a space where they don't have to work hard and they're just loved on and safe and the gospel teaching, whatever your curriculum looks like, is accommodated specifically for them instead of us having to tailor the general programming to help the kiddo kind of maybe understand. So I think what's really ideal is to have a buddy program for parents and kiddos who do great in general programming, who want to be included, and they want to be with their age-appropriate peers, and also having a space for kiddos who don't want that or don't need that. Um, So a self-contained space where they're super safe, sensory things are taken into account when building out the space or accommodating the space um and there's still teaching going on i think what's important is that that's not just a room for babysitting um that's another area that your kids ministry is taking place Mm -hmm. and then what can happen is there's some crossover so there could be you know kiddos who 
like the self-contained space, but like to go into large group and dance and have tons of fun during the worship. And then there are kids who need to go into the self-contained setting, but they can come in for the quiet teaching moment and the small group setting. So there, that allows for some back and forth. And that's why I think a hybrid is really the most ideal, not always possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like what you said, it depends on, totally. depends on the family, right. And what their, what their needs are. Even sometimes, you know, being able to ebb and flow, like this has been a really good month. And so we're going to lean more this way. And this has been a really hard month for some other reasons. So we're going to lean this way. Um, and so I like being able to have that flexibility. Uh, if they were to have a self-contained space, what do you think they should start with? Like in that space, like what do they need in that, that room or that building or whatever, yeah, depending on the resources. That's a great question. I think a big piece of it is just accessibility. So if you've got a room that's close to an entrance or an exit, that's wheelchair friendly, that's a great room. If it has its own entrance, that's even better. I At one of my church settings, we had a self-contained room that actually had its own separate hallway and it was technically like a fire escape, but they <laughs> let us use it to let the kiddos come in. And it was so nice. We had our volunteers, they got to walk out that door, greet the family at the car. There was no chaos, like we all know, is at the regular check-in stations or the lobby of our main campuses. They walked them back through this small hallway, got them into their setting, checked them in individually, and it was like the best scenario. So accessibility is number one. Um, Again, these kiddos are accommodating to regular learning settings all week long. They're probably in general education Mm -hmm. or maybe a special ed room for part of the day. So your classroom doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to have only sensory friendly seating or it doesn't only need to have low lighting and not fluorescent lights like it can be Mm -hmm. whatever it needs to be Um, but I would say accessibility first safety second so making sure that your kiddos can move about Um, if you have lightweight things that can be thrown in the room I would just suggest getting them out make it as simple as possible so that things can't be maneuvered and used to hurt other people Um, and then if you do have the resources to add in some sensory friendly seating Um, options if you have the opportunity to have like a sensory bin in the room a space for just kind of a calm corner um, heavy weighted blankets if you have the ability to you do have fluorescent lighting there's actually some um, like light covers that you can hang up over them to not only color the light but also dim it and make them softer Um, so there's lots of ways that you can kind of tweak the setting but it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be built for special needs ministry obviously that'd be amazing but um, we don't always have those resources so I would just say safety first and then trying to simplify as much as possible get out the clutter and make the things in there as accessible as possible yeah yeah that's great especially for people who might be at a mobile congregation Um, and so you know Mm -hmm. figuring out how to make that that work for for their kiddos so and I feel like going back to kind of what we've been saying over and over again is talking to the parents and that's a great question to ask parents and ask the specialists that are in therapies and special ed classrooms and all that stuff of like hey what's in your classroom what do you have at home what are toys that your child loves to play with at home and try and kind of gauge that because then those things can be mimicked in the classroom on Sunday morning because they're like oh I have this these blocks at home and I love to play with them and now they're at church and that's super fun and um so I think again it kind of everything I feel like is tying back to this conversation of 
hearing the parents and getting to know the family and Mm -hmm. starting to learn about who their child is and what they like and what they think is fun and how you can best serve them. Uh, Okay, so now's the fun part. Now I'm going to ask you about resources. So I want you to think, let's do uh, kids ministry leader resources first, thinking about training volunteers, kids ministry leaders who want to learn. But then also I feel like we can touch a little bit on parent resources. A church is a place where people are experiencing a diagnosis for the first time. So maybe their child was a part of your ministry and they just got the autism diagnosis or they're entering in this, into the special needs world for the first time. And so those resources for parents and maybe siblings, a question that kids ministry leaders get a lot is this this event just happened in our family and we're trying to get our child into therapies and get them back in school and all of these things, but also we're trying to navigate what this means for our other kids. And so those are, I feel like the kind of two sections that I'm thinking about. So let's start with the resources for the kids ministry leader slash volunteers. The resources out there are honestly slim and we'll talk about the ones that I think are the best and very, very accessible to us and make sense to us as non-doctorate level psychiatrists or diagnosticians because the language can get hard. I could recommend you all go out and buy the DSM-5 and learn every single diagnosis that's possible, but I don't think any of us want to do that. Um, So I will say some of the spaces and resource kind of hubs out there that are the best for special needs ministry leaders, kids ministry leaders, would be Johnny and Friends. That is an incredible ministry, parachurch ministry that exists for the sole purpose of making the church Mm -hmm. more accessible to individuals with special needs. Um, So go check out their website. They've got an actual series that walks you through the special needs ministry process, the why, the how, what it could look like. They're really good little tiny books. They're short reads. Um, but you can actually download them for free as a PDF version, or you can buy the collection and support the ministry and share them with your leaders. Like if you're in that exploratory phase and you want them to be learning with you or asking questions with you or considering adding a budget line, that's a great book series to kind of walk them through. Start with Hello is the first one in the series, and that's a perfect one to even hand off to that executive pastor or someone who might be walking this path with you. Um, And Johnny and Friends also offers some coaching opportunity where they can come into your setting, they can see what it looks like, they Mm -hmm. can give you ideas from other churches in the area or in the state. So if you're lucky enough to have a Johnny and Friends coach in your area, you can find that on the website too. Um, They're just an awesome resource and typically they do a lot of their services for free. Nice. um, Definitely take a look at Johnny and Friends. There are a couple other resources out there. Unfortunately, one of my favorite special needs ministry books is out of print. But I can definitely, I'll have Lauren link it. Um, it's still a good resource. And if you can find, you can snag one that's used on Amazon typically. So, um, But it's a really good book by Amy Fenton Lee. It walks through the hows, how to start training your volunteers, where to start if you have nothing, what an intake form could look like. It really gives you lots of the initial resources when you're feeling like your head, you're just treading water and you have no idea where to go next. So those are two of my top recommendations. If you're starting the exploratory phase and you're starting to ask those questions, Johnny and Friends and Amy Finley's special needs resource book. That's awesome. 
yeah, thinking of parents switching over, something that I found in most parents who've just experienced a diagnosis are, like you said, just flooded with information. It's a whole new world. Um, and something that I've found while being in relationship with these parents is most of them, if they get connected to the autism community, the Down syndrome community, someone will have already shared this um, work with them, but it's a poem mm-hmm. called Welcome to Holland. And it's literally a poem about someone planning a trip to go somewhere and they think they're going somewhere like Italy I can't remember the location but they think they're going somewhere they're planning this trip they have an itinerary it's amazing that's just like a parent who's expecting a child and then the child is born they get a diagnosis or they reach 18 months they get a diagnosis etc whatever the setting is and then it's like landing the plane and the stewardess says welcome to Holland you're in Holland now and Holland is beautiful and Holland is one of the most gorgeous places in the universe and has such so many things to offer so many experiences to be had but it's just different it's different than the experience these parents planned mm-hmm. to have and so I always like to share that poem with parents that are coming in with a new diagnosis because probably what they've heard which is very sad but in the medical setting is not optimistic not hopeful um lots of pessimistic views of progress for their kiddos livelihood for their kiddos um futures for their kiddos and so giving them something optimistic and just reminding them that there is so much good to be had here um that's just a great Mm -hmm. resource so that's called welcome to holland there's also a book a resource that's um a book of a hundred blessings for special needs parents and that one is just a great reminds me a little bit of like a jesus calling Mm -hmm. a really quick devo just a little blessing and they're pretty cheap so i used to buy them in bulk and when i had a new ministry kiddo walk in i'd hand the parent the book or i'd have their buddy who worked with the kiddo for the first time or for the first six months write a little note in the cover and give it to the parents at a celebratory mark but um that's a really good resource to have just a couple handy so you can hand them out and again be um be someone who sees the light and the opportunity with these kiddos instead of another person who sees them as a burden or um a risk in their ministry Mm -hmm. setting that's great those are some really great resources and i will link those in the show notes of our podcast so um and i as we continue this conversation as brooke thinks of more things uh, we'll try and link as much as we can Things like weighted blankets and special toys that are really uh, well-loved across the special needs community. Uh, We will link as much as we can so that it's all in one spot. Brooke, we've been serious this whole time. And so I was just going to ask, like, what do you like to do for fun? What's what's. (laughs) What's a fun <laughs> side of Brooke? We've been, I feel like we've, this is my seven coming out. We've been serious this whole I time I and I need it. some, we, we need to, I need to know more about you. So. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's see. What's fun about me? I feel like I'm <laughs> drowning and just being a mom of two under three. And so it's, you know, um, my kids are wild and fun, but I would say on my own, I am also wild and fun. Um, <laughs> I am like a speed reader, so I try to set some lofty goals for myself each year reading-wise, and um, yeah, I love to hit those goals. Like, it's so nerdy of me, but I feel like like back in grade school, we had AR tests. I was like, this is what lights my fire. So I love to read. Um, 
and I've read so much in the ministry world and the theology world that now I just read all fiction all the time. <laughs> um, so what are you don't put, what are you reading right now? Right now I'm reading um, The Silent Patient. I'm reading that on Audible, so technically it's being read to me, which I do think is cheating, but I still accept it. Cause <laughs> I think it I counts. It, it counts. Day. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. because especially when you got littles, if you're doing something, you can just that's pop what your I'm I can and, do the yeah. dishes. I can yep, drive yep. the car. That's, yeah. that's um, called being resourceful, Brooke. So. Thank <laughs> you. I'm also reading... Um, a new book by Taylor Jenkins Reed. Is that her name? It's called Carrie Soto is back. It's about tennis. I know nothing about tennis, but it's so fun. Um, and I'm reading this book called anatomy, a love story. And it's about, you know what? I don't really know what it's about yet. Cause I started two other books at the same time. So <laughs> yep. But yep. there I am. Those are three things that I'm reading right now. Speed reader. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is, that would be says the, the opposite would be said about me. <laughs> Becca is just a reader. She reads. Like, no one's going to say slow. Oh, gosh. But Becca knows, knows how to read. That's phonics. what would be described. She's, yeah. Yes. Oh, my yes. goodness. Yes. So, Audible is my best friend. That's great. But that's the only way I can get through a book quickly. So, yes. Okay. We've, di- we've digressed. Yes. Yeah, so here's my last question, I think. Um, well, okay, hold on. I take that back. This one will be a quick one, and then we'll go to the last question. So, Got it. I feel like, what are some ways that we can shift our language towards inclusivity for these families because I think a lot of times you say a word and you're like oh gosh is that the right word is that offensive or is that inclusive did I say it right like Mm. what are some things that you could say hey why don't you add this to your vocabulary as you are trying to embrace the special needs community yes such a um timely question because i actually think that the special needs community is shifting a little bit back it's it's always kind of been a pendulum swing which is how the whole world works but um we used to just use derogatory language and really crude labels for this community Mm -hmm. um and i think we have swung very far to the opposite end I would say in the past like 20 years or so what's evolved is called person first language so we would always say this person with special needs or this person with autism or on the autism spectrum as opposed to saying the autistic person or the special needs person and what we're finding Mm -hmm. is that that pendulum is actually coming back a little bit towards the middle um, because a lot of these Mm -hmm. individuals are liking the identity that comes with their diagnosis they're finding acceptance when they finally can say no i'm an autistic person or i am a special needs person i am a disabled person um and so this is it's gonna lean into that listening piece again asking people their preference asking the families their preference some families still are over here and the other end of the spectrum where they say crude things that are totally Mm -hmm. non-accepted and not kind some families are still wanting person first language to know that their kiddo is being identified as johnny who has autism not johnny is autistic or autistic kiddo um but some of the families are coming back to that middle ground and they're saying you know what i have a kiddo with autism he's autistic or she's autistic or she has down syndrome and you can just say that openly it's part of their identity and that's mm-hmm. okay 
So I think asking for preference is important with these families. Um, and just knowing, I think once you get into the world a little bit more and you feel more immersed, you will hear this dialogue and kind of be caught up um, and in the know. It's not, won't be as scary. And if you trip over your words, you can always just be like, you know what, I'm really sorry. How would you like me to identify you and your diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, never be afraid to just say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. How can we go yeah. back? That's great. Okay. Uh, here's my last question. And this is the question that we kind of always ask all of our guests and we can kind of hone in on the special needs world. So if you were, as you've been in the special needs world in terms of the ministry context for a while, and uh, what would you say to basically like, what would you say to college Brooke, who is someone who loves the special needs community has always found themselves there and are going into college or are jumping into ministry and you're like, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to be in the special needs ministry world. What would be your word of advice or encouragement to those new ministry leaders? Oof, you said that and I like got tears in my eyes. I don't know why. Um, I think I would say to myself and to anybody who's considering entering this space or has felt a pull towards this space, um, just don't stop. Mm-hmm. There's going to be so many barriers and you might be the only person on your entire staff who cares about this and advocates for it and believes mm-hmm. it's a worthwhile investment for your the body of your church. Um, but don't stop. It is going to take a lot of legwork and you might be the only one with the legs to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, don't stop and just trust that the Lord will open the doors and guide the conversations. Um, I did a lot of advocacy in one of my roles and ended up leaving that role before seeing it come to fruition. But in the past 18 months, they've approved everything that I submitted Mm. approval for five years ago. Wow. Um, That's cool. So yeah, don't give up. Don't stop. That's awesome. What great advice. So a couple things that I would love to share that we have here at Kids Ministry Circle is we do have a family registration form up on our resource page that Brooke actually helped us create. And it is a form that is helpful for you to fill out with a family to get to know them and to hear about those preferences and learn about who their child is and how your church and community can best serve them. And so what's great about it is that it's free. And so you can head over to kidsministrycircle.com slash resources and find that resource there. And I will also link it in the show notes as well. And then our second thing that we have here at Kids Ministry Circle is Brooke is actually our special needs specialist here at Kids Ministry Circle. And she is available for one-on-one coaching. And so if you are interested in getting in connection with Brooke or learning more about coaching, you can head over to kidsministrycircle.com slash KMC coaching. And you can fill out that form there and get in touch with someone from our team. And so we can learn more about you and your leadership and your ministry. So those are the two things that we um, offer for uh, kids ministry leaders who are working, who are doing the hard work of trying to start a special needs ministry in their church. So Brooke, thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was so informational. I feel like I learned a bunch 
And I hope that kids ministry leaders listening to this learned more about how they can continue to be as inclusive as they can be towards this uh, sweet community and the sweet kids that they get to minister to. So if you would like to connect with Brooke, I know she's over on Instagram. Brooke, why don't you tell us about where people can find you? Oh, gosh. Okay. My Instagram. <laughs> your my your personal, personal address. Yeah, address. That's in what case we're wanting you to pop put in. Um, no. <laughs> my Instagram <laughs> handle is at Brooke underscore E underscore green. And you're welcome to give me a follow there. Um, I would love to share resources with you and any developments that I hear of in the community. That's great. Thanks, Brooke, for sharing where people can find you and learn more about special needs ministry. All right, friends, that is it for our episode today. I hope that this conversation about special needs ministry was helpful to you and encouraging you as a kid's ministry leader. If you love this conversation, would you mind sharing it with a friend, sending it over to another kid's ministry leader so we can continue to love and serve the special needs families in our communities? If you would like to continue this conversation over on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Kids Ministry Circle. We've got a ton of resources and fun conversations around how to better equip and encourage those leaders around us. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time. Bye.